Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. Our God raised His Son for us so we can raise the roof of His church. Amen. Wow. Thank you for His presence in this house. My goodness gracious. Hallelujah. Y'all can be seated. I might run around this house right now. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, I might run. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all some worshipers. He done warned me about this church. And uh, I, was, uh, I was up at uh, XL Assembly of God. And, and uh, me and Brother Allen hit it off. We done play golf together, and I'm going to hang out with him more, and I'm coming back to hang out with your pastor more too. But he done told me, he said, boy, you're going to have some freedom up in that house. I promise you. <laughs> and I went, do you think they'll like our long worship? He said, they'll out-worship you, Chris. <laughs> but, man, it's an honor here, honor and honor to be here. Oh, my goodness, y'all got to leave? Well, let me tell you what I want to do. Hey, are, are you like the house mother? Can I, I'm here in town through Thursday. Can I come over there and share my story with them during the day? Is there any possible way to do that? That would be great. I'll, I'll get things from the pastor. I am sorry we went long because I want to come love on you guys, okay? Amen. Y'all be blessed, okay? I'm proud of you where you're at. I love the joy I see on you. Ah, ah. They were like, Mr. Chris, will you share your story? I went, that's it. I'm laying down my message. We're going, but I'm going to go there now if that's okay. <laughs> but we had a great time. John and Jeanette Bush, I guess you guys have met them. They are just uh, incredible people in my life. Um, I guess about 15 years ago, I did my first cross festival, and, and I was with a guy named Ken Freeman. I think he's been in the area. And dude, we were, at, we were in a ball, uh, ball stadium. And I'm telling you, there were about two or 3,000 people there when he gave the invitation. There wasn't but 40 people left in the stands. Even the Christians come down to get right because we need to sometimes, right? And uh, the man, uh, I've been blessed, man. God has opened so many doors for me to, to do a lot of crazy cool things. And it's not because I'm, I'm talented. It's not because of, of, of where I'm at. God just had a time and a place for me to have a platform to go and love on the addicted and the afflicted and that's what I get to do every day of my life um, this year we've put 80 see uh, Dylan was our 84th person into a Christ Center recovery center we are the 800 line for our area and we put 126 in and 141 in the year before this is the cool the cool thing we have only had seven people that have went back into their addiction out of those numbers. God is just really, because I want to tell you something. If you put them in a place where Jesus is, that's where the hope's going to happen. That's where the change is going to happen. And uh, we go across the state of Georgia. I've got Celebrate Recovery in 14 state prisons right now, and we're going in two more. And we're excited about that. And then my, my preaching partner, who's just ridiculous, his name's Beaver Robertson. You're like, why do they call him Beaver? His name's Hillary. He's from Germany. So you, you don't want to be laughed at for being called Hillary. But I need to bring him down here and let him flow. This is one of the most prophetic men of God I've ever been around. And he's, uh, he, God told him the name of his wife. And uh, her name was Jessica. 
and, and you know what? There were seven Jessicas in the church. How would you like to figure that out? But do you know that their first kiss was at the altar of their wedding day? And Beaver was a reprobate just like me. He, was, he should have been behind bars for two life sentences. But God gave him pardon and gave him freedom, just as he gave me. And, and he has just put together a ragtag bunch of people that have been delivered and set free. We've got worship leaders that are ridiculous. Will Dixon is one of our worship leaders who's leading for me today. He was in prison for eight years, tied in with a Cartagena a cartel. I can't even say it, thank you. <laughs> but that's where he is. He got all these things, and it's blood in, blood out. But he went he went to, to, to the boss and said, hey, I got saved in prison, and I cannot do this anymore. And he knew that they were, he said, I'm willing to die for it. This is the cool thing. The boss's father had just got saved six months before, heard the son speaking, and he came in. He said, you need to let that boy go because I want to tell you something. You lay a hand on God's anointed. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. And Will is now a guy that dances across the stage with no shoes on. Uh, when I take him in the Baptist churches, they have a heart attack. <laughs> But, uh, amen, I heard y'all were a Baptist church, too, and I heard y'all had a great revival, amen. Well, oh, man. Well, guys, I, uh, I was born uh, in 1965, February 4th, to an unwed uh, mother. She went to nursing school at Emory Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, grew up in a great Christian home. My grandmother and my grandfather were the two godliest people I've ever met in my life, besides my great-grandmother and great-grandfather, and they were moonshiners back in their day. And um, so uh, I've got a crazy heritage, but my grandmother and my grandfather were just amazing, amazing servants of the Lord. My grandmother didn't need a mic. She was a letter singer. She stood back and let her fly, and she sang all over the country, opening for the McCaneys. And before there was a Bill Gaither homecoming, and you had all them voices. It was three voices. It was Bill, Danny, and Gloria. And my grandmother and two ladies from Chattanooga used to go out for about two, three years, and they were the opening act for those guys. So, man, that I was steeped in that gospel music. My mother got pregnant, and I want to tell you, she was ashamed. She met this hairy-legged boy, and I'm, I want to talk to all you young girls. You stay away from her. God has got such a destiny for your life. And... Uh, I wish I could go back and erase all the junk that I did, but I can't. But I want to tell you, she uh, she ends up getting pregnant, and the the word uh, the world will tell you, hey, you ought to have an abortion. You're a, a career-driven woman. You're in nursing school. You're going to do something with your life. Just get rid of that baby and just go on. You don't have a husband, so just get rid of it. But my mother knew that was the wrong thing to do, so she had me. And I want you to know, I'm not a mistake. The Word of God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me, and he set me apart. And um, I grew up for a couple years in my grandmother and grandfather's house, and then my mother tried to get her own place. And in the process, she met this Walker County Sheriff deputy. And uh, he just took a shine to her, and she took a shine to him. And uh, he was, he's kind of quiet, got this dry humor. And my mother is all mouth from head to toe. <laughs> so they were the weirdest couple to be together. But my mother fell in love with this man because she saw his heart and you know what this is when you know his heart's big see I wasn't his son he didn't have to accept me into his family but he did he didn't just accept me he adopted me and you know what the cool thing about adoption is no court in the land can change that for you kids that are disobedient to your parents do you realize they can disown you they can kick you out get rid of you 
But I want to tell you something. If you've been adopted into the family, no court can mess that up. That's how it is with the Lord. And um, I want to tell you, that's grace. You get something for nothing you don't deserve. I'm not very cute. I didn't have a job. But you know what? God gave me a daddy young. And uh, he was a great daddy. He, uh, he's got, matter of fact, it's the last Christmas. <laughs> I'm over at his house, and uh, my family had just left. It was just me and him and, his, and Phoebe, and, and we uh, had been remarried. And he's, I was telling him, I said, Daddy, I share my story about how you adopted me a whole lot. I said, you wouldn't believe how many fatherless homes are out there. And uh, I said, Daddy, I'm so thankful for what you did for me. I start crying. He's like, would you quit? You're going to make me cry. My dad's a fifth-grade black belt. He's a bad man. <laughs> He's 86 and can whip me. <laughs> but uh, he said, quit it. He said, son, I got something for you. I said, what do you have? He went and he pulled his desk drawer up, had one of them rolling things up, and he dug through it, and he came out, and he said, I think you might like this. And he gave me my original birth certificate. Man, I'm telling you, I just about blew up going through that house. I said, Daddy, why did you have it? He said, because you're my boy. There's nothing like a father speaking identity over a son or a daughter. And I want to tell you, he said, I've got even better than this. I said, what would that be? Because I'm squalling. He said, I've got a tape. And he pulled out a cassette tape. The problem was we had to tear the whole house apart to find a cassette player. Teenagers, y'all don't even know what a cassette player is, do you? (laughs) But anyway, we put this thing in here. And uh, I had I was in the hospital when I was born. I was like four pounds, had lung issues, and they didn't really know if I'd even come out of the hospital. But the devil is a liar, and uh, I came out of that hospital and, and I breathed through him for him. And uh, you can't shut me up. I promise you. I even wrote a sentence in school says I will conscientiously endeavor to rectify the obstreperous situation caused by the incessant movement of my larynx. I talk a lot, and now I got a lot to talk about with Jesus. But my daddy put that tape in. And he goes, in this tape, he goes, hey, Chris, come here. I said, what, Didi? He said, come over here. I want you to sing for me. And you could hear that croup in my chest. I said, what you want me to sing? He said, anything you want to, son. I just love to hear your voice. You're the greatest singer I know. Identity into my life. And uh, I sang one little, two little, three little Indians, four little, five little, six little Indians. Seven little, eight little, nine little Indians, ten little Indian boys. And <laughs> I can do that when I'm close to the reservation, can Amen. Hallelujah. Wow, I didn't think about that. That was cool. <laughs> God, you're good. But anyway, I start singing all these random songs, and then I go into Jesus Loves Me. And I, my dad starts singing with me. And I, I stop in the middle of the table and went, Daddy, you need to be quiet. He said, Why? I said, Daddy, you just don't sing as good as me. He said, you're right, son, I don't. He said, you know what? You might be on a stage one day. You're so good. He let me finish Jesus Loves Me by myself. When I listened to that and realized the the brevity of what he spoke into my life, do you know what I do, guys? Today I sing and today I talk to everybody I meet because I've got a story to tell just as you do. The thing about it is my story is not just one story. It's many stories because I see God do something every day because he takes us from glory to glory to glory if we let him, if we allow him. 
but I grew up in this Christian home. They, my my dad and mom had a, had a son, and when my, my little brother came into play, man, I want to tell you something. I didn't feel like I was getting all the attention that I got for those several years, and uh, I, I realized that I had a need of approval and problem inside my life, and I wanted that affirmation more and more, and I kind of felt like secondhand stuff a little bit, so really kind of warped my mind. And then I found pictures of my mom and dad getting married when I was a little boy. And I, I was like, I'd never wanted to ask them, what, what's the story? Because I would never want to disrespect or hurt my family. I didn't find out until I was 15 years old that I wasn't Jim McDaniel's son. But um, I grew up in this house, and we went to church every time the doors were open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we played ball. We didn't do rec leagues, and we did church leagues. Everything was about Jesus. But just because you play on a ball team and you go to church, it don't make you a Christian. Just like being in, in a garage don't make you a car. Guys, I, I, I heard the gospel my whole life. I sang the gospel as a little boy. I know back then, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. That was contemporary Christian back then. But, uh, man, I, I loved being in that place because there was such a joy in that house. And you know what? It's because church was the central focus thing for every family. And now we've got so many things pulling us away. It's such a distraction to us. And that's what the enemy does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll do it so subtly, we don't even realize it's happening. But guys, I, I didn't meet Jesus until I was, I was 14 going on 15. We had an evangelist come to our church. Heard the gospel my whole life. Saw lots of little boys get saved. Lots of little girls get saved. Older people get saved. But we had this man come in, and I don't have that voice, but he had one. He had one of those voices that could break the back wall. I mean, just power voice. And he came in and preached a message on sin the very first night on a Sunday night. The Bible says all of sin and come short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God who loves you, who created you, to have a relationship with him. But the gift of God. His son. What a gift that was. And you know what? He let everybody know all you got to do is receive this gift. He's already paid for your sin. Just receive it. But you know what? I started looking at myself that night and I knew the sin I had in my life. I knew I'd been disobedient. I knew I lied. I know I'd stole a bubble gum and some and, and just some done little things. I never killed nobody or robbed a bank. So you don't think you've done nothing bad until the Holy Spirit starts pointing things out. And those little things in his eyes are big things. And, man, I, I laid my head to a pillow that night, and, man, I really pondered everything that I'd ever done in my life. The next night, I got to go back to that revival. You don't, you don't have to. You got to. You get to. And, man, he preached hell really hot. And I'm not motivated by fear. See, I done met the love of a father and a mother who chose to keep me even though the world said no. I had my grandmother and grandfather. I had a church family that loved me. He preaches a message on love. And it said, for God so loved the world, he, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if y'all ain't figured this out yet, I'm highly ADD. There's a bunch of D's after me. So, you know, I process everything. And when I heard, I've got four points, and they all start with the letter C, I went, I can do this. I'm a Chris. I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm going to follow this preacher. And he talked about the cause. And everyone here, everyone here under the sun of my voice, you're his cause. He loves you. 
proved his love through the cost, through his son. My daughter, I'm telling you, uh, she's got me wrapped around her finger. My little son, he's 15 years old. He looks just like me. He's skinny, got long, curly, blonde hair. He's got a gap between his tooth, and his gift is to spit water 20 feet in the swimming pool. <laughs> and then we, uh, we got to adopt in a little boy uh, about two and a half years ago. And I, I'm the guy that played with Confederate Railroad that had the Confederate bandana around my head. And a lot of people would say I'm racist for that. No, my, my family taught me red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in the sight. Hey, I want to tell you, God doesn't see color. He just sees the blood. And that's all he's looking for. And if he doesn't see the blood, he's praying that blood. He's, he's got somebody interceding, praying that that blood will get on him. Amen? Well, uh, man, I, I want to tell you, we've met this little boy in a bar ministry that I do. I, I go into bars and I'll sing Sweet Home Alabama. And then, then I've rewrote things like that. And then I'll go into the Christian part of it. And people are like, what in the world's he doing? And then they follow me out the door and I tell them about Jesus. Then we started doing a ministry in the bar, and I got to adopt this beautiful little four-month-old baby. I had him since he was four, month, four months old. He's my son now. Man, that was one of the great. The adopted got to be the adopter. Isn't God good? <laughs> I just love him. Well, man, what I'm telling you is I count the cost of my children. I don't want to see them even scrape their knee, get any kind of a boo-boo. I'm that kind of a dad. I know they're going to happen, but I want to protect my children. Just like God is our defender, I want to be the defender of my kids. But can I tell you, man, he talked about a condition. Why are you going to put your trust in it? And the gentleman that was up here starting this thing off, that's what he was talking about, was trust. That's what this the whole day started with, was trust. Why are you going to put your faith in? If you put it in your good looks, your good deeds, your wallet, your job, influence, it ain't going to get you nowhere, folks. But if you'll put your trust in Jesus, he will change your life, not just save you. He's not trying to give you a ticket to heaven. He's trying to get heaven into you down here. That's what the abundant life is all about, peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, man, he talked about a consequence. I heard about hell the night before, and then he talked about God's heaven. And I came down to an altar. I knelt my knees and, and knelt my heart, and I cried out to a holy God, and invited him to be Lord and Savior of my life. And that day, I was gloriously born again. I began my journey with the Lord. And man, his words started coming alive. I started having a passion because my family was so into music. I was like, God, would you give me a talent? So I started taking piano lessons from our organist until she slapped me on the hand with a ruler. And when she did that, I was finished. I learned to play by ear then. But guys, I went all the way through high school. I love music. And my cousin Neil built this place where just like we did at Little River State Park, we had good, clean fun on the weekend. It was a big old chicken house. They had bands in there that sang, I'll fly away with a circle being broken, amazing grace, uh, uncloudy day, but they sang another kind of music I'd never heard because I've been in the four walls of a church. If it wasn't in a hymn book and Bill Gaither didn't write it, I didn't know it. And I heard for the first time, thank God I'm a country boy. And I went, what? Man, I like that country music. It got up inside of me. I love story songs, but my goodness, the feel of that music, I was like, I think I can play that. So I started playing with this country band while I was at Gordon Lee High School where me and Felicia graduated. She's much older than I am. No, I'm just kidding. She's not. No, she was a baby when I was when I was uh, in high school. But, but I want to tell you, man, I love music. 
I was a passionate person. I weighed 180 pounds as a linebacker, and I'd tear your head off. Won all North Georgia for three years. It didn't matter. And then I, we started winning clogging competitions. I Yes, I was a clogger. I used to do a backflip. I can't even bend over and tie my shoes. But I found out something about me. I was passionate. So when you put your passion into something, it, something's going to happen. And the band that was around me in high school, they were all really good players, probably better than I was. But they had jobs, and their passion was to stay home with their family. And I was a kid, and I was ready to go. So this door opened up for me to get on a bus with this band out of Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. My dad said, son, ain't nothing good ever come out of Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. And I said, why? what are you saying? That? He said, Chris, they've led the nation in car theft per capita for the last 17 years. A bunch of crooks up there. You need to be careful who you tie your, tie yourself to. And I said, well, I agree, Daddy, but I, I just want to chase my dreams. He said, well, son, there's a way that seems right unto a man. In the end, it can lead to destruction. It can lead to death. Chris, make sure you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you do. Let everything else fall into place. Will you do that for me, son? I said, yes, sir. And I had every intention of doing that. But that boy that loved Jesus, that, that played in the youth band, that played a little country music at, at, at the chicken house, I got on a 1957 Greyhound held together with duct tape, and I tell you that because we broke down on our very first trip going down the road. That should have been a sign of things to come in my life. You've got to look for signs, folks. When you're on the path, look for signs. God will show you things, but we've got to, we've got to see them in the supernatural. And, man, I, uh, my band was called Danny Shirley and the Crossroads Band, and I didn't know how many crossroads this boy was going to face. We played for several years out in the bars and honky-tonks and fairs and festivals, and then we hooked up with a guy named Johnny Paycheck, uh, who was known for Take This Job and Shove It. We played all kinds of places with him. Then we hooked up with David Allen Cove, the guy that wrote that song. We were his band for about five years. And then we got a record deal in Atlanta, Georgia, and we changed our name from Danny Shirley and the Crossroads Band to Confederate Railroad. And guys, it was on like Donkey Kong after that. We had a strong label behind us, great management to manage Kenny Chesney, uh, now and uh, Gretchen Wilson, he, he had Alabama all those years too. And so, man, we were in good company. And our first album come out, we had six singles, two number ones, Jesus and Mama, the Queen of Memphis, uh, number one songs for us. Then we had a song called, I Like My Women, just a little on the trashy side. Now, I'm an ugly man up here, but y'all should have seen me in a dress in a video. I'm an uglier woman. But you know what? On the basis of that thing, we went double platinum. Doors opened everywhere for us. We were making an excess of money like you wouldn't believe. It was amazing. We were playing with everybody from George Jones to Leonard Skinner. Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw was my opening act. I had it made in the shade. I could buy what I want, pull the cash out or a card out, and do it right there on the spot. I never had that kind of money. Man, it was, it was crazy. Have y'all noticed I ain't said one thing about Jesus in this journey? Because when I got on that bus three weeks later, I called my mom and went, Mama, these are the craziest boys I've ever met in my life. They're wild. I wish you would see how they respect women. There's none. She said, Chris, I'll send you a bus ticket, and you can come home if you want to come home. I went, Mama, we're really good. We might make it. Guys, within my fourth or fifth week, I took my first drink. I tried one cigarette, cigarette went, nope. Smelled pot, smelled like a skunk, went, nope. But guys, when you hang out with David Allen Coe and Johnny Paycheck, there's some hard drugs that's going to be in that crowd. That both of them were affiliated, David Allen Co. with the Outlaw Motorcycle Gang, Johnny Paycheck with the Hells Angels. 
So guys, next thing you know, the best cocaine on the planet was readily available to me. And I started playing with that stuff. It didn't really get a hold of me during that time. And then a brother that I didn't know from my biological father came into my life. And uh, he lived in Sanford, Florida, owned a trucking company. And uh, through some deals through a pharmaceutical company, he went out and bought his first four kilos of cocaine. I, I had every bit of it going in three days. And um, transporting it on my bus. And you want to talk about somebody that got lost? That was me. Second Samuel chapter 18. There's a story in there about a disobedient kid. It starts in verse 16. Absalom was David's son. And he wanted David's kingdom. And uh, it wasn't his kingdom. It was David's. God anointed him king. He was a man after God's own heart. Even though he made mistakes, God had his hand on David. And Absalom tries to steal this thing in disobedience. He would stand at the, at, at the gates and go, hey, if I was king, I'd rule in your favor. My dad might not have, but I would. Next thing you know, he starts a civil war. And in chapter 18, it says on that day, 20,000 men died. But 10,000 didn't die by the sword or the spear, but they died by the woods. Anybody ever got lost in the woods? Down here, I don't want to get lost in the woods. Y'all got too many rattlesnakes around here. But I don't want to tell you, that's what happened in my life, guys. One step at a time, I got into a place that I couldn't find myself out. And I, I had all this stardom, and I had all these people I had to keep happy. So I just kept living that life, living that life. And then I buried my brother from an overdose. And when you do that, you would think you'd wake up and realize there's a problem here. Wake up. But I want to tell you something. That wasn't what happened. The enemy started speaking in my ear, saying, it's your fault. It's your fault. God will never forgive you. You're dirt. You're trash. You, you ain't worth anything. I began to listen to those lies. Man, I began to feel defeated. And when you feel like that, you know what you do? All sense of hope goes away. And you get on a path of destruction that nothing can pull you out. I would do 7 to 10 grams of cocaine. Uh, I, I, wasn't a, I didn't smoke it, didn't shoot it. But I can take these glasses and put them through my nose, and I won't do that. That's how big a hole it left in my life. But guys, I saw my fame, my fortune. I lost my fiance. I saw everything fall apart. And uh, finally, October 18th of 1999, I've been up for five days on a bench, scared of the shadows on the wall. Every time the wind would blow in my big old house, I about jump out of my skin. I had a Glock pistol stuck down in my, in my pants. I had an automatic Tech 9 in one hand and two ounces of cocaine in the other, doing it every two to three minutes, just wanting to have a heart attack and die. That's how hopeless I was. And finally, I passed out. I've been blowing blood out in my garden tub. They said it. It looked like they pulled a dead body out of it. I didn't look because I just had my head hung all the time. I hated mirrors. I hated the reflection of who I was. And uh, I finally passed out. When I wake up, I'm glued, matted to my carpet in my house. I try to move my head, and I can feel it stuck. And then I pulled it. And y'all know that sound of Velcro? That's what my face sounded like coming off that, that carpet. And I found the strength to get up on my feet and look in my mirrors. And I had mirrors on my closets. And what was looking back at me was a dead man. My eyes were so far back in my head. I weighed about 165 pounds. About 200 is where I need to weigh. I was, I was emaciated. I, I looked at a corpse and fell on the floor and began to cry. 
I didn't even cry out to God because I felt like I'd gone so far. There's no way he would allow me back because there's so many underlying things that sin will take you to that, that, that will hold you back. And shame, the number one thing, the, the first thing that was ever found in the Bible, the only response to them taking the fruit, it wasn't fear of God, it was shame. And shame will keep you in a place where you, you don't feel like you, there's keys for that prison. But I called my mama and said, Mama, would you come help me? And if you call your mama, folks, your mama's coming. Ain't she thankful for praying mamas and grandmothers out there? But man, they, uh, my mama called my grandmother. They got over there. My mother, she's a businesswoman. They prayed with me. My mother got on the phone started making telephone calls. She going to get her boy somewhere to get help. And I told her, I said, Mama, I've already been in two rehabs. They talk about a higher power, the God of your own understanding. I don't even know what that means. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you think a doorknob is going to be your higher power and it's going to help you, all it's going to do is open the door. But I serve the door. And uh, he is, uh, I was sitting there, and uh, my grandmother crawled in the bed and prayed Psalm 91 over me for two days, over and over and over. And I, I out of respect, I couldn't even say it. I just laid there and cried. And they got me in a rehab center. Good thing was you could go to church at this place. And, man, I was doing good. I was listening. I was learning. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was consuming everything that they were teaching me. And I realized, man, that I was out of control. And uncontrolled chaos, man, uh, an uncontrolled life leads to uncontrolled chaos. I, I wanted to be away from that mess. And um, I did so good, they gave me a pass to go home. And uh, my mom says, you want to come stay at my house? I'm like, Mom, if I can't live in my house one day, I'll never make it in the world. Mom, just pray for me. She said, honey, I'll pray. You want me to come to your house and stay? I said, if you want to, you can. But uh, she came and stayed during the day, made sure I went, I went to bed. But on Sunday, before I had to go back, there was this church that never gave up on me for two years. Hey, Brother Chris, we know you're there. Your cars are there. Your truck's here. Your boat's here and your motorcycle's here. Why don't you answer the door? was ashamed but finally I started opening the door and I, I would be rude to these people that's how dark a place I got to and they still loved me and then I would look out the windows when they were late going where are they at because when it all boiled down to it I couldn't wait for them to get to hell I didn't go back to the pig pen I walked in that door to see if those people were real can I tell you what? I don't look like them. I had a ponytail hanging down my back. I had earrings in my ear. and I, I had my torn up britches and a shirt hanging out, kind of looking like I do today. Uh, my cowboy boots and a choker on. I was cool, you know. The only thing I didn't put on was my Confederate bandana. But I walked in the door, and can I tell you what? I got met by the love of God from everybody that was there. Everybody was in suits and dresses in this church, but they loved me. And then I looked up on the stage just like I did today. They had this praise team on stage. And this band, when did they put a band? It used to be a really bad piano player and a really bad organist and a choir. You're like, oh, Jesus, help them sing together in tune. And, and, but, man, this praise team was just incredible like you guys were, man. It was just awesome. It took everybody right to the throne of God. And you know what I did? Somebody cut the leaky faucets on my eyes. I sat there and cried like a baby. And it was the first time I got real release. And, man, I couldn't cut it off. 
then the choir stood up and there was 180 of these jokers up there in this robe and they sang thou O Lord are a shield for me the glory and the lifter of my head and I want to tell you something when they did the parts da 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 I thought somebody picked me up and threw me all around that room I was so drunk by the end of that song thinking about what that song says Lord if I would picked up that shield and walked into that world I might have been protected from the arrows that came my way but I didn't because I, I, I didn't put on my britches I went out there naked into a world just like Adam and Eve did and I got my rear end handed to me that's what happened to me and man when I heard he would lift your head you know what that's connected to shame and I'm like you can break this shame off my life Man, hope started coming up inside of me. And man, I, something that was dead just started to live again inside these bones. Then the preacher got up, and I thought he was going to mess it up because he had his notes. And, and he got up, and I went, oh, this is probably going to be boring. He got up, and he went, I, I worked 25 hours on this message, and I can't preach this message. He laid that in his big old throne chair. That's what I called it, with a big fancy chair. By the way, I don't see any throne chairs up here. I see Jesus exalted in this house. That's what I like. But man, he come back to that pulpit and he said, uh, the Holy Spirit just talked to me and told me there's somebody here that is in the struggle of their life. And if they don't have a radical transformation today, there's a good chance they won't make it another day. And uh, I'm going to change my message. It's your plans or mine. What's it going to be? That's what I'm going to call it. He said, turn to Jeremiah 29. Everybody went there. He quoted verse 11 first. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. My plans, they are to prosper you. They're not to harm you. They're to give you a hope. They're to give you a future. ADD kicks in. My plans prosper me. I got a big old house. I got a golf course. I got stuff. Oh, wait a second. They repossessed one of my cars. I got a beautiful girl. No, Jenny moved back to Virginia. My, fr my friends don't take my calls no more. The party ain't there. They ain't there. Oh, my goodness. My stuff ain't there. My plans ain't working. If I keep moving the way I'm moving, they, there's no hope in future for this boy. So uh, I, I tuned in, missed verse 12. I thought all that, all that right there in about two seconds. They say 13 is an unlucky number, but I tell you that's a lie. Because that was my number. Amen. It says, if you'll seek me, Chris McDaniel, you'll find me. When you seek for me, listen to this, guys. This is the word for the day. When you seek for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, and I will bring you out of captivity, and I will restore your fortunes. Man, I want to tell you, that thing started pulsating in my bones and in my heart. And then he went to Luke 15 and preached the prodigal son story. Man, I knew that preacher, or the God of that preacher was speaking to me. And I was like, Lord, are you really going to give me this opportunity to come home? I know what I've done. And that, that, that was that enemy's voice trying to stop the heartbeat of me. But you know what? They gave an invitation. I stood up and I went, I can't handle it. I bowed my head and said, God. I know you've set me up from the floor up ever, ever since I got here. There's a band in this church that don't happen. 
and they're good. And there's a choir that talked about lifting my head. And this man just talked about a son coming home. Now, Lord, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I have screwed my whole life up. But God, if you'll have me, I'll give you everything I've got. I will turn myself away from my dreams, my plans, and I will surrender everything to you. But God, you're going to have to help me because I'm so ashamed right now, I can't move. Can I tell you what happens when you ask a God whose ears are attentive to your cries for help? My friends, he sends help in funny packages. Her name was Evelyn White. She was 87 years old. She broke her hip, and she was at church for the very first Sunday. And she got her walker out, and she starts walking out to get her walker out of the back door. She didn't want to be a hindrance to anybody. But she heard my cry. And she tapped me on my hand and says, Honey, are you okay? I said, No, ma'am. I hadn't been okay for a long time. I was a country music star. I had everything in life. and It all fell apart. I lost my friends and my fame, my fortune. My family's ashamed of me. My fiance packed up and moved back to Richmond, Virginia, and she's not coming back. I'm in a really, really bad place, ma'am. She went, no, you're not, son. I want to tell you right now, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Today, you're in the fixing place, boy. Do you know that? You are in the fixing place. You're in God's hospital. And guess what? Dr. Jesus is here. His name is Jehovah Rapha. And I don't care how broken you are. The bigger the mess it is, the better he can put it back together. And I want you to know, son, if you'll put your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus... He will show you things that you, your mind can't even wrap around. I went, ma'am, I played on stages in front of a million people before. She said, he created the whole world, baby. You ain't got nothing on him. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my goodness. And she said, honey, I was on my way out the back door. But God told me you needed help. And I went, ma'am, that's what I just asked him for. She said, well, good. Let's go have a talk with Jesus. And guys, can I tell you what? The greatest walk of my life was not to walk to some Grammy stage or win a new group of the year award or be given a double platinum record or walk on stage with Kenny or Tim McGraw or Leonard Skinner or any of these people. My, my greatest walk in my life was when I realized that Jesus will cover my shame, my guilt, the condemnation, the sin, the everything that the enemy told me. You cannot overcome this. Well, guess what? I overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And can I tell you, man, he snapped my chains when she put her hand on mine. And as I began that walk down through there, I scared that Baptist church to death because something that was inside my belly started to rise up again. And I want to tell you, I started shouting and hollering. They ain't never heard nothing like that before in that church. They were all like, oh, Lord, what's happened? But they don't know what God had done for me. They, they can't wrap their mind around it because they're in this cookie-cutter world and they don't realize just how bad things can get. But today, life has escalated. It's worse than it ever was 20 years ago. What our kids face, oh my goodness, you better pray four hours a day over these teenagers. I think they're going to be okay. I saw their worship. But I want to tell you something. What they face is escalated a hundred times worse than anything I face. Man, I was blown away when I got to that altar. And that little woman, 
humbly put her walker to the side and crawled down in the floor with me with a broken, repaired, new hip. Man, and she said, Lord, would you do something in this young man? Would you change his life? And may he never forget this day. And when he gets up from here, Lord, I pray no demon or no devil in hell can shut him up. I pray you'll make him a witness to the whole world. I've not been to the whole world, but the world that I've been to, guys, I get to witness to. And I want to tell you something. I'm not talking about going into a facility. I'm talking about when I get out of the car and I'm pumping gas, I'm looking for, for my next target. And I want to tell you something. I live life on the edge for him. He lived it on the edge for us. Do you realize he saw everything that we were going to do? He looked in that cup. And he even said, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, I'll give myself for the whole world. My goodness, he was beaten and cat of nine tails, ripped apart. His organs exposed. They drove seven-inch nails in his hands and his feet. They took, they took a reed and they beat a crown of thorns on top of his head. They mocked him. They spit on him. They pulled his beard. But can I tell you what? He continued on. He put that wood. He walked up the Via Della Rosa. And he carried that thing all the way to Golgotha. And they put that cross in the ground. And he died, folks. He died. But I want to tell you something. He didn't stay dead. Muhammad, he's dead. Buddha, he's dead. But can I tell you what? On the third day, Jesus Christ arose from that grave. Just like I arose from my shame and my guilt and my addiction, he made something new out of me. God made something new out of him. Called a victor. That's what he is. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So I don't know what kind of grave you're in in this place today. I don't know what kind of struggle you're in in this place today. But can I tell you what? My God is a bondage breaker. He's a chain breaker. He's a promise keeper. He will do what you can't do. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you even ask, think, or imagine. But most of us feel like, I can't take that to him. He can't do that for me. Listen. I was in a Baptist church six years ago, and a man died in my church. I led him to the Lord in a hospital six weeks before, and he was dead. They pronounced him dead, done popped him twice with a defibrillator. But you know what? I listened to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives me numbers, just like he talked to your pastor about eight. Oh, I've got, most of my songs that I've wrote are through numbers God's given me. But I want to tell you something. I saw one eighteen seventeen. didn't know what it was. When I went to get my word, can I tell you what? I didn't even have to open it because it popped up in my spirit. And I went to Pudgy, felt like a fool because they didn't said he was dead. And I went, Pudgy, you ain't going to die, but you're going to live and declare the glory of the Lord. So get up, rise up, show these people who our God is. And Patty Smith, who was sitting there pumping on his chest, popped him twice with the defibrillator, dead. She's still pumping, waiting for the EMTs to get there. She looked at me like, you're rude, dude. He's dead. And I'm like, George, get up in Jesus' name. You ain't going to die, but you're going to live and declare the glory of the Lord. I believe God just told me to tell you that. And they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. The fourth time we said it, guys, George opened up his eyes and he got up. Now, I want to tell you something. Lauren Newsom 
was Lauren Floyd. She, her family was the singing Floyds from North Sand Mountain, Alabama. They're some of the most anointed singing. When she does four days late, I'm telling you, man, there's puddles all over the place. She can put a canoe in the church and just float to the altar. The girl's just so anointed. She called me six years ago. Chris, mom and dad said you could help me. Chris, I'm a, I'm a pill-popping alcoholic whore. I need help. Will you help me in recovery? I went, honey, yes, I will. And she called me on my birthday. And then when she got fell in love with God to get married, they found out she had AIDS. She came and prayed. And we got this little thing in Dalton, Georgia. We got oil that's flowing out of the Bible. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't think that's real. Hey, real, hey, real. The Word of God is alive. Yes, it is. And if God wants to pull oil out of the Bible, it's real. I've been there. I've seen it. It's real. And I want to tell you something. We just believe in anointing and praying and pushing and having faith that moves mountains. Can I tell you what? The third time she went back to the doctors, Lauren was declared no AIDS. I don't know. I, hey, this all happened in a Baptist church. And then I had a visitation from the Holy Ghost in a bathtub. Now, y'all probably don't need to hear that. Too much information. But you know what? When you're seeking God and you're reading a book on intimacy with Him and something that the devil says you can't do, you, you may talk fast, but you can't even put your words together half the time. See, I went to speech class. I had a speech impediment. And, and I was like, well, I, I can't, I'm never going to be able to function in this gear. Maybe I can function in this gear. But you know what, man? Uh, I sat in that bathtub, and something happened to me, and I had a six-hour encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he strengthened me through three of the toughest years I was ever going to face in my life. He gave me everything that I needed. And I want you to know that same God is here today to give you what you need question is, what do you need? Are you in this place? Do you need Jesus? Do you need salvation? If your life is to end right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you know? I want to tell you something, folks. If you've not been covered by the blood, if you've not been covered by the blood, you're going to a place called hell. And it's a real place. The Bible says it takes blood for the forgiveness of sins. In the Garden of Eden, blood took the shame and guilt away from Adam Eve. The tenth plague comes. I'm going to wipe out every firstborn male. Every one of them. But if my people put the blood over the doorpost, I'll pass by. That blood saved the family. It didn't end there. They get through the Red Sea. God says, I want to hang out with my people. I want a tabernacle. I want to be with them. I want you to build a tabernacle. This is what it looks like. This is what it's going to be made of. I want it this way. And once a year, the priest would go behind the Holy of Holies and put blood on the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of all of Israel. Well, guys, that's awesome. But they had one person here, an Israelite. We had a bunch of Alabamanites or some Floridians or some Georgia rednecks. I don't know. It's what I am. But ain't you thankful that in John it says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the entire world. Have you had your sins covered by the blood? Have you truly repented of your sins and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? If you've not done this, this is your day. Today is the day of salvation. And this is an altar. This is a place where you can bring it to God. You could do it right there in your seat. But I want to tell you something. There's something when you put faith into action with your feet. 
because Matthew 10, 32, 33 says, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So what you going to do with what you've been challenged with? If you need Jesus, the pastor is going to be here in a minute. I'm going to sing a, a hymn of invitation, or I'm going to get Felicia to. And you need to come down here and talk to the pastor and tell him you need to give your life to him. Matter of fact, I'll even lead you guys through a prayer here in a minute. But man, if you need a touch, if you need healing, if you just need somebody to bind up some wounds and, and some brokenness, can I tell you what? God is there. His word says in Psalms 55, to cast your cares upon the Lord, he shall sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be moved. So if you're getting moved by stuff in your life, guys, trust in him. Just as you heard the first word from this place, trust in him. Where's your trust? What you going to do with it? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. God, I thank you for the life you've allowed me to live. God, I thank you for the, the, the many, many, many we've seen saved. But God, I, I believe you want to do work in this house today. Lord, uh, your spirit's here. And I thank you for a people that are, are just so welcoming to you having the throne in this house. Lord, I pray if there's somebody that has never surrendered, may they come to that throne of grace and mercy today and surrender themselves to you. May they find salvation and life. If you're that person that's looking for that, the Bible says that all of sin and come short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from the God who wants to live inside of you. But he built a bridge through his son Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. No man can come to the Father who is in heaven unless he comes through done told you about the thief but let me tell you about the giver he says I come to give you life and life more abundant do you have that if you don't today is that day would you cry out to him if you don't know him say dear Lord Jesus I know I'm a sinner I know I've blown it but today I ask you to come into my life and to change me forgive me make me new I repent of my sins. I turn from everything. And I turn to you and give you all because I want all you have. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you for saving me. If you just prayed that prayer in this house and you're not ashamed, would you raise your hand up in this place? I just want to pray for you. Yes, ma'am. That very first time? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else over here to my right? Anybody here in on my right hand side? Anybody? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Look up at me. Raise your hand. Anybody? Any of you youngins over here? Sir? God has spoke to a couple lives. But he's not finished. This altar is a place to do business with God. Don't miss out on what he wants to do in your life today. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done. We know you're about to do even greater things in here. Lord, I thank you for this house. I thank you for this pastor who loves his flock. As he talked, God, I just saw his eyes light up when he talked about his children in this house. Lord, I pray you continue to bless this house. But right now, God, we bless your name. We thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation. Lord, I pray chains fall. I pray prison doors are unlocked. And I pray, God, you are exalted in this place as king and lord of life. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.